I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 16 through 20, is it 23 of Colossians chapter 2, 16 on down to the end of the chapter. Colossians 2, beginning at verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Here ends the reading of God's Word. Well, this past week I got a message from one of my nephews who let me know that he was taking three philosophy classes if you know, I, I studied philosophy in my undergrad, and so uh, we would talked a little bit about it. And uh, one of the classes that he was taking is a philosophy of religion class. Now, if you've ever taken a religion class or a philosophy of religion class, then you probably know the typical kind of teaching that you would get in a class like that. A religion class will uh, begin by surveying the various world religions, boiling them all down to their various do's and don'ts, and then coming to the conclusion that all religions are essentially the same. They're doing the same thing. They're different ways of trying to make men and women better additions of themselves. And so whether it's uh, the Ten Commandments from Moses or the Five Pillars of Islam and with Muhammad or Hinduism and the Quran or Hinduism and karma, or they may say if it was Jesus and the Golden Rule, all world religions are doing the same thing. People are trying to make themselves better. Now there's some truth to that. Some truth to that claim that all world religions are trying to do the same thing and making people better, with one exception, Christianity. Christianity cannot be reduced to the golden rule. Christianity cannot be reduced to any rule, commandment, or law, because Christianity is not primarily about rules, commandments, or laws. Christianity is a gospel religion. It's a gospel religion. 
And the thing is with Christianity, if you get the gospel wrong, then it doesn't matter what rules you follow, you get all of Christianity wrong. Christianity is not a religion of making man better. Christianity is not a religion about men and women doing what they can do. Christianity is about good news, a message, a word of what Jesus Christ has done for sinners. And that's what we mean when we say that Christianity is a gospel religion. It's a religion that speaks of what God has done through Jesus Christ for sinners. And so as I said, religion 101 should teach that there are really two kinds of religions. There are man-made religion and there are gospel religion. Man-made religion and gospel religion. And man-made religion is all about man, for man. It's all about commandments and rules and making himself better, herself better. Where again, gospel religion is about the message of Jesus Christ and what he has done. And that's the major difference of what is really operating in our text here before us tonight. The false teachers who had inserted themselves in the church at Colossae were all about and teaching man-made religion. Sure, they may have incorporated some Old Testament ideas. They may have referenced Jesus Christ. But the heart of their perspective or philosophy, as Paul has called it earlier, or what he calls here in verse 23, self-made religion, the heart of their perspective was man. This is all about man. It's all about them making themselves better editions of themselves. And in teaching this to Christians at Colossae, they were corrupting the Christian faith of many there. And so Paul tells us three things here about man-made religion. He tells us three contrasting things about man-made religion versus gospel religion. Man-made religion is rule-based. It's rule-based. Man-made religion is man-based. It's all about man. And man-made religion is powerless. It's powerless. And those three points serve as our points tonight. And what we're going to see is really the contrast, the difference between world, worldly man-made religion and gospel religion. Paul begins his exposition here in verse 16 with the word, therefore. He says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to a festival, a new moon, or a Sabbath. And as you've often heard and been told, when you come across the word therefore in the Bible, you should ask the question, what is therefore therefore? And oftentimes, therefore is a, a linking phrase, right? It links what was said previously with what, it, what the author is about to say. Well, here Paul is saying, in light of what I just said to you in the previous section, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or festivals, new moons, or Sabbaths. Well, what was it that Paul said in the previous section? Do you recall? It's been about a month since, since we looked at that section. Well, if you recall, in verses 8 through 15, Paul covers much of what God has done through Jesus Christ for these Christians. And in that section, Paul doesn't once tell Christians what to do. He doesn't tell them anything to do. 
He simply proclaims to them the wonderful things that God has done for them in Jesus Christ. Those are gospel verses. They're not law verses. They're not verses of commands or rules. They're gospel. And remember, that's the major difference between man-made religion and gospel religion. Man-made religion is primarily about rules. Gospel religion is primarily about Christ and what he has done. And so look briefly with me again back at verses 8 through 15. And if you remember, Paul used this little phrase over and over in those verses. The little phrase, in Christ. And he used that phrase to tell these Christians, again, all that they have in Christ. All that has been done for them. All that has been accomplished for them in Christ. And never once does he say that what has been done is based on what they have done or will do. It's not contingent upon what they will do or what they can do. Look down with me at verse 9. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him. Verse 9 and 10 don't tell us, again, what to do. It tells us what has been done. We've been filled in Jesus Christ. And then Paul goes on to continue in verses 11 through 13. In him, there's that little phrase again, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised with him through, the faith, through faith in the powerful working of God. You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Christ, having forgiven all of our trespasses. Put this all together, and Paul is saying here, We've been truly circumcised, truly baptized. We've experienced a real death and separation from our old selves. We've, we now have a new nature, been made alive, spiritually renewed, and we've had our sins forgiven. And then Paul speaks of one last thing in verse 15. He says he, this Christ has disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. So Christ has filled us with the fullness of God. Christ has freed us from the power of sin. He's freed us from the consequences of sin. And he has freed us from the power of the spiritual spirits of this age. All of this has been done for these Christians. All of this has been done. All of this has been done for anyone who trusts by faith in Jesus Christ. These things, these benefits of Christ, if you are united to Christ by faith, you have them. They are yours. You are right now in possession of them. They've been given to you, granted to you graciously by faith in Jesus Christ. And so, having seen and heard all that Paul says here, can you see why now Paul says, Therefore, therefore, don't let anyone judge you according to food. Don't let anyone judge you according to celebrations, rituals, Sabbaths, patterns. This is what you have in Christ. This is yours, given to you. Let me ask you, in, as, as those who are in possession of the benefits of Christ, what do you have to do to obtain them? 
Nothing, right? Nothing at all. So it makes no sense for a Christian to ever put themselves under the judgment of anyone who would question them along these lines. Let me put it to you this way. Let's say that uh, you had a distant relative who just recently passed away and left you with an inheritance, a large estate. This estate was given to you free of charge. You received the keys, the title and deed was signed over to you, and then you begin to move in to this estate. And while you're moving in, a neighbor comes by not only to introduce themselves, but to tell you, I know you have the keys, and I've heard the deed is in your name, the title, but you know, this is really not your estate. And you say, what, what, what do you mean? Who, who, whose estate is it? Well, it's not your estate until you pay for it. You see, nothing is free in this life. You've got to do something to earn this. You have to pay for this estate. How would you respond to somebody like that? They'd probably kind of roll your eyes and uh, probably never talk to them again, maybe. Right? That, that's absurd. That's, this estate has been given to you. It's yours. You're in possession of it. Well, man-made religion is a lot like that neighbor who comes to us as Christians and says, I'm sure you, you believe that you have all the benefits of Jesus Christ, but they're not really yours. They're not really yours yet. You have to earn them. You have to play your part. You have to follow certain commandments, rules, regulations. That's what was going on in Colossae. That's what these Christians were being told by these false teachers. They were telling them they needed to abstain from certain foods. They needed to participate in certain religious festivals. And this was a serious matter because it was robbing these Christians of their assurance. It was robbing these Christians of their confidence in Christ. And many of these Christians were submitting to these teachings. They were placing themselves under these teachers' judgments. Notice what Paul says in verse 20. He asks, why then are some of them submitting to such rules and regulations? Now you can imagine how this happens still happens today in various ways in various churches. I recall being a young Christian and attending a number of churches looking for a faithful Christian church. I remember going into some churches and I appreciated the preaching. I agreed with the doctrine as far as I knew that it was biblical teaching. And yet there was uh, these, these expectations that the church placed upon each other that was extra biblical. And those expectations gave the church a kind of ethos or a spirit of being judgy and judgmental. Some of these churches required you to read only one translation of the Bible. And if you didn't read that translation, then you were made to feel like an outsider and like you didn't really understand. Some of these churches expected you to dress a certain way. To speak a certain way. To have a, a kind of attitude about yourself. It was really peculiar, to be honest with you. 
And yet, if you didn't live up to these expectations, you were let known. And you would feel uncomfortable. See, Christianity does have rules. It does have laws. Paul's going to get to those commandments in the next section in chapter 3. In fact, Pastor Gordon read that section to us this morning as a portion of our law reading. But you see, those are moral issues that Paul is calling us to there. Issues such as food and drink, festivals, new moons, Sabbath uh, um, uh, festivals, those aren't moral issues. Those aren't the issues that anyone should ever claim to be moral. Well, look what, notice what Paul calls these issues. He calls them shadows of the things to come. These are types, shadows. Paul is saying here that these types and shadows have been fulfilled in Christ, right? The substance is Christ. Christ is the substance. We all know that shadows are not the things in and of of themselves. I was walking out here on the patio this past Friday, and uh, it was a hot day, as it was today. uh, But then I noticed that I was standing under a dark shadow. And I looked up, and there was this great big dark cloud over me. Some of you probably know that it rained Friday. Briefly, it sprinkled a little bit. And yet, I would not have noticed that shadow if it were, or that cloud if it wasn't for that shadow that I noticed I was under. The shadow directed me to the cloud. In the same way, these types and shadows were to direct the people in the Old Covenant to the promises that will be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Christ is the substance. And in Christ, we have the reality of what those types and shadows pointed the people to. That's Paul's focus here. So while man-made religion can't get past rules and regulations, gospel religion grants to us the substance. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And that really brings us to the next major difference between man-made religion and gospel religion, which is that man-made religion is all about man. It's all about man, while gospel religion is all about Christ. It's all about Christ. Notice uh, what Paul says here. He says, Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism. I'm in verse 18. And worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. As I said, man-made religion is about man. Now, man-made religion is always about rules, but these two things go together when you think about it. Man-made religion is about rules because it's ultimately about man. Listen to how this works. You see, there's no good news in man-made religion. What could possibly be the good news in man-made religion? The closest thing to good news in man-made religion is the claim that if, 
If you live up to the rules, regulations, expectations, then you will be a better addition of yourself. But how do you know? How do you know that you've lived up to those expectations? How do you know you've lived up to those commandments? How do you know that you are a better addition of yourself? Well, man-made religion is about you. So you are the one who gets to decide. And when we get to decide whether or how much we live up to the expectations that we place upon ourselves, let's be honest. We know we always look better in our own eyes, don't we? We always look wiser in our own eyes. And so really what man-made religion leads to is a kind of arrogance and being puffed up with pride. And that's what Paul tells us here. He says in verse 18, puffed up with re- without reason by his sensuous mind. Some of these teachers, these false teachers, were being puffed up. That term, puffed up, uh, another way of translating that is to be self-inflated. To be overinflated with oneself. To have pride and arrogance. In what? Well, in these so-called regulations that these people were claiming to follow and practice, asceticism, worship of angels, going on in detail about visions. Imagine these people, these men who claim to have visions, basing their sanctification and holiness on such gifts. Such things still happen today, don't they? In churches that practice these kinds of gifts, people still look down their nose spiritually upon others who don't practice such gifts. So man-made religion is really revealed for what it is. It's about man. It's about being puffed up with pride and arrogance. Listen to the way the NIV puts this all together, this, this, how it translates this verse. It says, Do not let anyone who delights in false humility, that's a, asceticism, false humility, and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such as a person also goes into great detail about what, about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions of their unspiritual mind. So again, man-made religion is shown for what it is, masquerading as something that it's not. I noticed this in uh, Israel when I spent three weeks in Israel in my early 20s. Uh, Jerusalem is a very, very religious place. You've got the Roman Catholic Church. You've got the Eastern Orthodox Church. You obviously have Jews there, practicing Jews. And what I found was that these three groups would try to outdo each other in terms of their religious garb, in terms of how they dressed. And sadly, each of them that I met were some of the most arrogant people that I've ever met. They were full of themselves, religious people. Paul says here that such religion, religion of man, is not holding fast to the head. Paul has said over and over in this book, if there's one thing you should get from this book, 
It's that everything is about Christ. Remember the text, the preeminence of Christ. True religion is all about Christ because everything is all about Christ. Everything was made by him. Everything was made for him. He is before all things. All things hold together in him. He's the head of the body, the church, the firstborn, the beginning, so that in everything he might be preeminent. Gospel religion is all about the glory of Jesus Christ, his preeminence. It's not about us. It's not about our false humility our inflated views of ourselves. True religion is about Christ Jesus, the Lord, the Savior, the Redeemer, the Servant, the King. Everything is about Him. And so we have no place to boast. We have no reason for quote-unquote false humility. We cannot claim any spiritual achievement We humbly receive Jesus acknowledging to him that apart from him and his works, we have nothing and are nothing. And there really lies the crux of the difference between man-made religion and gospel religion. Gospel religion is about Christ. He gets all the glory. We respond in humble thankfulness for all that he has done for us. And that's why the gospel is so difficult for people to accept. It requires them to acknowledge their inability to save themselves. And that rubs against the very fabric of sinful humanity. We can accept rules. We can accept man-made commandments. We can accept self-imposed rules and regulations that lead to us thinking more highly of ourselves. But call us to humbly acknowledge that we can't do anything to save ourselves? No thank you is what we say. We don't want to have anything to do with that kind of religion. We think we can save ourselves. We think we're better than what we really are. And that's why Jesus came to the earth saying, He didn't come for those who are well. He came for the sick. He didn't come for the righteous. He came for sinners. And to sinners, Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. All of you who are broken over your sin, come to me. Come to me. Those of you who are humbled by your sin and your inability to save yourself, come to me. Find rest in me. Find rest from man-made religion. Find rest from these rules and regulations that you have to live by. Find your peace in Christ. Find your righteousness in Him. Gospel religion is all about Him. His work. His salvation. His glory. We simply acknowledge our need and trust in Him. Oh, I think there's another lesson here for us to learn as a church. The fact is we too can become proud people, can't we? We too can become proud with how well we have developed or how well we follow Christ. But here's the thing. When Christians become proud of their spirituality, they're actually oxymorons. See, the basis of Christianity is humility. 
is us bowing and acknowledging everything we have is from Christ. How could we ever be a people who get puffed up with pride over the knowledge that we have, over the works that we have done? All glory should be to Christ. And so this text here reminds us to continue in humble faith. Continue in humble faith. Don't give in to the temptation to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. Again, it's all about Christ. Everything. His preeminence. Now, because gospel religion is all about Christ, gospel religion is powerful to save. And this brings us to our last and final distinction tonight. Man-made religion is powerless. Gospel religion is powerful. Paul says in verse 20, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why is if you were still alive in the world do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Well, as we just saw, man-made religion does not make a man a better person, does not make them a better addition of themselves. In fact, just the opposite. It's powerless to make us better, makes us more proud and arrogant. Well, the gospel saves. The gospel is powerful. You see, behind every man-made religion, Paul tells us here, is the elemental spirits of the age. Man-made religion in and of itself is satanic. It directs man away from Christ. It directs man away from the gospel. It directs man away from the truth. Man-made religion directs man to himself. And that's exactly what happened to Satan, isn't it? And this isn't just what Paul says. Jesus says this too. In John 9, Jesus, while speaking to the Jews, says to them, you do not do the works of your father Abraham. You do the works of your father Satan. And then in Matthew 23, while speaking to the Pharisees and scribes, Jesus says, You travel across distant lands and seas to make a single convert. And when you do, you make them twice the son of hell of yourself. These would seem to be harsh words to very religious people. But man-made religion is powerless. It's only the gospel that saves. It's the good news of the grace of God to sinners through Jesus Christ that empowers and changes a person. And that's why Paul says in Romans 1 that he's not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. That's why Paul, when writing to Titus in Titus 2, says that the grace of God trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. What trains us to renounce ungodliness and to walk godly? The grace of God. The gospel. The good news empowers us. And that's the essence of gospel religion. 
the grace of God to us in Jesus Christ, what has been done for us. So notice how Paul says the Christian grows in this passage. In verse 19, he says, it's through holding fast to Christ. Holding fast to Christ. Holding fast to the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. Contrary to man-made religion with its regulations, don't handle, don't touch, don't taste, real growth comes from Christ. It comes from Christ to us as we hold fast to Him. Now, what does that mean? What's it mean to hold fast? Well, we've heard Paul say something of this before. In verse 6, he says, As you receive Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith. Paul here also says, Be rooted in Christ, built up in Him, as you hold fast in Him. And as we all know, Jesus in John 15 says, Abide in me. Abide in me. Remain in me. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So how do we hold fast to Christ? How do we abide in him? How do we uh, stay rooted and built up in him? Well, we do so really in various ways. We do so as we are immersed in God's word, where God's word challenges and strengthens our faith. Remember, the Word of God is active and living. It's powerful. Remember, the Word of God is God's exhaled breath, and it's useful, able to teach and train and correct and convict. We also do as we gather together for worship. As we exercise our faith together, collectively, as we sing out songs and praise and thanksgiving, as we sit under His Word and we are convicted of sin and we're led and drawn back to Christ and we hear the wonderful gospel news of what He has done for us and our souls are lifted up. That's how we abide in Christ. That's how we hold fast to Him. We do so as we see the the sacraments applied. As a baby receives baptism, and we're all reminded of the promises that God has sealed unto us. As we take the cup and bread, and our faith is nourished, we're abiding in Christ, holding fast to Him. Now let me gently encourage you, if that is the case, if what we are doing here tonight is an expression of that is in part holding fast to Christ. Why would we not gather at least twice every Lord's Day? This is so necessary for us. This is so good for us. We need this each and every Lord's Day. How else do we abide and hold fast to Christ? Well, we do so as we actively participate within the body of Christ in a local church as we become members, as we encourage each other, as we challenge each other, as we spur each other on to faith and good deeds, as we exercise our our faith by doing the various or practicing the various gifts that God has given to us. We're abiding in Christ. We're holding fast to Him. 
We do so as we regularly and constantly pray and commune with Jesus Christ. And we do so as we humbly submit to Him daily, denying ourselves, taking up our crosses, following Him, living in light of the wonderful things that He has done for us. All of these practices are not dead rules and regulations of men and man-made religion. These are the means by which we as Christians remain in Christ, holding fast to Him, where we grow in our relationship with Him, where we grow in communion with Him, where we find our desires are changed into His very desires. And His will for our lives becomes the will that we want and desire. His plans, His purposes become our plans, our purposes. Remember, gospel religion is all about Christ. It's all about what He has done. It's all about His glory. And it's powerful. So we've seen tonight the fundamental distinction between gospel religion and man-made religion. Man-made religion is all about rules. Rules to live by. Rules to make yourself better. It's all about man being puffed up, self-inflated pride and arrogance. And it's powerless to accomplish anything that it promises. And yet gospel religion is about Christ, about the good news of what He has done for us, about Him and His glory. All glory be to Christ. We Merely acknowledge our inability and trust by faith in Him. But it's powerful, powerful enough to change our lives. Christians, we have everything we need in Jesus Christ. We have a wonderful, wonderful Savior. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word to us tonight. These encouraging words to us, Lord. We thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the power of the gospel, Lord. We thank you that you saved us in and through Christ. And you have so graciously given to us all the benefits that he has accomplished, Lord. We acknowledge, Father... We have nothing to offer, nothing to add, nothing to contribute. It's to the cross that we as sinful people cling, acknowledging our inability to save ourselves. We thank you for Jesus our Lord. We pray this all in His name. Amen.